everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, which, let's be honest, my middle name is Simone, so I think it's clear that I can tell the future because I called it with Julio. I said he was going to the Titans. Somebody, probably the happiest person I know with regards to that trade, my co-host, Ethan Tate. How you doing? Let's go. Tennessee, I definitely think, you know, they vaulted our stock as far as being a AFC contender. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. We're going to get into it um, in just a bit, but we got a cool show for you guys today. We're going to play a game of NFL free agency, Would You Rather, picking between some of the top free agents remaining. We're going to look at the uh, second round predictions for the NBA playoffs since all but one series is already determined. And we're also going to play a, a game of believable or buffoonery with the first round losers. But before we do any of that, please be sure to check out the extra Xreport.net. I repeat, the Xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Xport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, like we mentioned, Julio Jones is now a Tennessee Titans for the cost of a second round pick for uh, this upcoming year, a 2023 fourth round pick. And in addition to Julio, uh, trading Julio, the Falcons will also receive a 2023 sixth round pick. So, Ethan, in terms of the Titans and what it means for this team, what do you think the impact of Julio is going to be? I think he's going to have a, a very significant impact because this makes a a lot of people fail to realize last season the Titans were one of the more dynamic offenses throughout the course of the um, throughout the course of the season. They were a top a top scoring offense and they had the number efficiency numbers to back it up. And this is with being a a team that a lot of people even in my opinion still are then is then they run first team with their hearing. But with this, you also add the element of now you have two guys on the outside that can be one-on-one coverage. Who are you going to double? You can't double A.J. Brown anymore because, yes, Corey Davis was great last season, but he isn't. He was, he's nowhere near the caliber of receiver that Julio Jones is. If you double Julio Jones, we all know that ever since A.J. Brown's been drafted, he's been, a, he's been basically unguardable. So I think it makes this offense that much more dangerous and – like, I know a lot of people been saying, like, all we all they need is a tight end. A lot of people don't know that Anthony Fersker, when he was on the field, he was a productive he was a productive piece. So I think that this makes one of I think this makes a offense that was last season great. I think it makes it too like it could be potential greatest show on turf type territory. I'm in agreement with you about just how big of an improvement it is. And just like you said, I mean, the Titans had one of the top five offenses in nearly every category just a season ago. And they did this with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. You take Corey Davis out, and now with Julio, you have an even better receiving group. And I think that with another year under the belt with um, – Ryan Tannehill for him. I think that especially as he gets comfortable with this team, just imagine how great this group can be. And I think that, of course, a factor that also has to be mentioned when talking about the Titans is Derrick Henry. Well, now because you have two physical receivers on the outside, you can't load the box. You can't just say, oh, we're going to hone in on Julio and then, I mean, not Julio, I'm sorry, Derrick Henry and then A.J. Brown, if he catches it, he catches it, we'll take our chance. You really have to stack up against everybody, which is going to create opportunities for everyone. Like you said, Anthony Ferkster at uh, tight end is going to be able to get extra looks. I think that it is going to be a great move all around for this offense. And if the defense can really shape up too, I think that the Titans are going to be a really scary team to watch this upcoming year. So it also begs the question of wide receiver duos. Of course, now it's going to be a very interesting time seeing A.J. Brown and Julio play together. But where do you think they stack up in terms of the great wide receiver duos in the league? I made a list earlier. I'm going to say two. I would still say Bucks have the best, but a healthy Julio and A.J. Brown can change my mind pretty quickly. I got to go. If both guys are healthy, I got to go with them number one because – Julio is a generational talent and wide receiver. And A.J. Brown, like, a lot of people draw attention to um, D.K. Metcalf because of what he did. But in all honesty, between the two of them, A.J. Brown might be the better receiver. 
I would agree with that. So I gotta if they're both healthy, I gotta go with them number one. Yeah, healthy I would say them number one. But I'd say right now, just because they're both coming off years where they were both injured and Julio over the years has kind of had nagging injuries here and there. I'm gonna say two. But when healthy, I mean it it really does not it's gonna be tough to find better than that. And I'm excited to see how it unfolds. Admittedly, I want to see how my Ravens stack up against it, but I'm sure we'll meet you in the playoffs, so I'll just be watching from afar. But all right, so not much NFL news to really talk about today. However, this was something that really caught my attention, and I think it's uh, worth talking about. All right, so the thing is that the NFL agreed this past week to put an end to the practice of race norming, which essentially was from the assessment of brain injury claims within $1 billion concussion settlement. The practice made it more difficult for black retirees to show a decline in brain functions as opposed to non-blacks as it assumed those players started out with a lower cognitive function. Under this new agreement, the league will also review past scores and reassess for any potential racial bias. Meanwhile, the NFL says that a panel of neuropsychologists that includes two females and three black doctors will propose a new testing regime to the court. So this was something that I had honestly, before it came out this past week, I didn't even know existed or had even come about. But the fact that it took to 2021 for the NFL to recognize, oh, black athletes don't have a lower cognitive function. Maybe we should take them more seriously when they make claims about brain injuries. I think that's pretty messed up. I didn't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, it's terrible because it's like, for one, why is there a thing in place to begin with where you think black athletes' brains aren't as cognitive as white athletes? Like, I understand, you know, what most, typically most white athletes are quarterbacks and the, they're in football and they're the position they going is the most information they have to retain the most information. But the thing of it is, is that doesn't mean that a black man can't do it. Or that doesn't mean that, you know, a lot of black men are linebackers. They're essentially the quarterback of the defense. They have to attain more information, if not they have to attain the same amount of information, if not more information, as their white counterparts. And the fact that the NFL is just now noticing that, oh, black people have very cognitive brains also, that sucks. Yeah, and it's wild because, like you mentioned, I guess because most of the time, quarterbacks are white. And typically, the smartest person on the team is the quarterback. Whereas, like you said, with linebackers, you have to be able to read the fields. You're the quarterbacks of the defense. Free safeties or safeties in general, you have to be able to figure out multiple things at one time and everything is coming in your direction. So, like I said, it just kind of blows me that it took the NFL this long to recognize that black athletes had the same uh, cognitive functions as white athletes. Like, it's really... It's really interesting, one, that this conversation even had to be he- had to be held. And two, how many former athletes did not get the right care or get the right support from the NFL because of their race? Because they were not thought to be able to have the same cognitive abilities. And so concussions, they their concussions or their injuries weren't seen as as serious. I think that's a messed up thing that it had to happen. And I just, I feel for the black athletes, especially in the past, who didn't get the opportunity to get the care and the um, medical attention that they needed from the NFL because the NFL pretty much already assumed that they didn't really need it as much. So that's a really messed up thing that is wild. Now, I just wonder how many other sports do this. You know, the NFL is the first one to really talk about it or at least have these things come out. But I wonder how many other leagues have this problem as well. But all right, speaking of the league, Let's talk the Dallas Cowboys because no matter how you shake it, the Cowboys are always in the news. But this time, apparently trying to make some moves. Now, originally it was reported that the Cowboys were trying to trade linebackers Leighton Vander Esk, who they did not pick up his fifth-year option for this upcoming year, and Jalen Smith, who recently signed a big extension. As we all know, they just drafted uh, Micah Parsons in the first round of this year's draft and Jabril Cox in the fourth round potentially as the two's replacement. Now, it seems that Lane Vettas may not be on the trade block anymore, but Jalen Smith still is. So, Ethan, 
First off, do you think it'd be a good idea for the team to trade Jalen? And two, if they were to make that trade, what team should pull the trigger? Um, me personally, I think it depends on what's your viewpoint of the reason to make this trade. If you think you're making this trade to potentially get better and be in a win now mode, I think that's a bad decision because we we've talked about historically on this podcast, the Cowboys defense isn't that good. And they have they don't have many pieces that are very good pieces on their defense. Jalen Smith, when healthy, is one of those pieces. Now, granted, we know that when healthy is attached to that, and we know that's the case for a lot of players. But I think, you know, if you were to say, hey, uh, like, trading Jalen Smith can help with your pieces to go to the playoffs, I don't necessarily think that because I don't think you'll get a player of his caliber when healthy in return. Now, in the case of, you know, if you're looking for the future, then you might want to get a, a sense of a couple of picks because you know that they, they're going to, they have that resigned on at least contract for, for some more years, and you might be able to get some draft capital to receive to further help their defense in the future. Then go ahead. And a team that I see pulling the trigger if needed, honestly, I would say, I would say the Patriots. We all we all know that Bill Belichick loves his defense, and he's always had good, smart linebackers. Kind of similar to the Steelers and the Patriots, they've all they've been a team that's known for having good linebacking core. And I think that you could put if you compare Jalen Smith with um with Bill Belichick's mind, I think that could be a good um a good combination. Um, I would agree with that as far as when you look at the potential assets you could get for Jalen Smith. I think that potentially trading Jalen Smith, while I know injuries are a concern, you still did give him that $68 million contract. So clearly you saw something in him that you wanted to build around. But I think what people seem to forget is, oh, quarterbacks, they get so much money, but that money is going to affect the rest of the roster. You get your quarterback in tow, all right, cool, but what about the other big contracts you have? What about your potential to have some financial flexibility in the future? If your quarterback's locked up, you have to look at other positions. So truthfully, while you could say injuries could play a part in Jalen Smith being moved, I think more so it's just a money thing. And they realize, okay, we signed Dak, but now we really don't have the money to pay a lot of other people. And Jalen Smith, because he's a defensive guy and because it seems that Jerry Jones and his team seems to not put as much emphasis on this defense, I think he's going to be the one who could potentially be the odd man out. But in terms of a team that I think could make that move, I'm going to say the Denver Broncos. Yes, they've been in talks about potentially making the trade to get a um, a quarterback such as Aaron Rodgers. But truthfully, I still think that uh, the Denver Broncos still need a middle linebacker. I like Josie Jewell. I think Josie Jewell has potential. But I think that if you look at the Broncos' defense, the one spot that really still is a question mark is at that linebacker position. I think that Jalen Smith could come in and be a great um, great enforcer there, a great kind of mediator of that defense that already has talented people. They still have Justin Simmons. They still have Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb. Uh, brought in uh, Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby. So they have made really nice moves this uh, offseason to add to that defense. And I think that this could be the one that could essentially be the cherry on top and really put them in a nice position. But all right, so one thing about the NFL is they're always moving. They're always innovating. They're always trying to change things up. This year it was announced that for the first time in history they will be moving to a 17-game schedule, but apparently they already have their eyes set on 18. So believable or buffoonery, within the next five years, this NFL schedule will increase to 18 games. I believe, I believe that that's a believable statement simply because we know that the NFL is a sports league is very um, – they're very money like thought don't it? And I feel like they'll make any decision that they can to potentially bring more dollars to their product. If that means adding another eighteen game to the skip to the season, I can see them doing it for sure. We know I personally think that the players we both know that the players won't be fans of it because they weren't fans of the seventeen game being added to the season. But we know that this is a league that is run by a lot of older 
really care about what the players think, so I can see sooner rather than later. I ain't seen game being added to the schedule. I would agree with that, and I'm sure the argument would be, oh, well, you know, we just thought it was kind of awkward just having that 17, which honestly it kind of is. So I'm going to grant you through. I do think it is believable that sooner rather than later the schedule is going to be increased to 18. I just hope that the NFL doesn't get too hungry and be like, well, if it's at 18, maybe we can do 20 and just it could just be an overriding cycle that I just think is going to be really detrimental to the players. But all right, let's play a game of would you rather. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to pick between two free agents at different positions and say which one we would rather sign. Pretty simple. So let's start off with running backs. I think this is an intriguing one. Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley? Which one would you rather sign? Todd Gurley. Okay. Care to elaborate? My reason for saying, honestly saying it and saying that they is is because Tiger and improved last season that he could be a he could be a fixture as a as a running as a running back in the offense. He I think if I'm not mistaken, he had a thousand yards last season for the Atlanta Falcons and he showed flashes of being his former self. Le'Veon Bell, he he hasn't shown that he's it depends on the situation. I feel like if you were to bring him in, he could be like a a spell back the guy, type of guy that, you know, makes um that isn't the starter. He can do that, but I think in a sense you can also do that with Todd Gurley. He's showing he can be productive at a higher rate than Le'Veon Bell has in these uh, recent years. I would go with Le'Veon Bell. One, I feel like Le'Veon has more of a chip on his shoulder. Two, I think that he has more versatility. We talked about last week that um. We talked about last week that with the opportunity to change positions or former players we want to see change positions, Le'Veon Bell has shown in his career that he could be a reliable wide receiver if need be. And while I think that the competition, while I think that with Todd Gurley, you may get an overall better resume, I think that Le'Veon Bell has a bit more left in the tank. I think that you really want to have to worry about his injury concerns as much and just, like I said, his running back, he's not able to produce as much as you would like. You could put him out at wide receiver, and I think you would just get more bang for your buck. All right, let's move on to wide receiver. Uh, Golden Tate or Didi Westbrook? Which one would you rather sign? Uh, I'm actually going to go with Golden Tate because, yes, he's an older player. I know Didi Westbrook is younger, but – Golden Tate has shown the tendency to, no matter where he goes, he's able to have some form of production. And I don't know if D.D. Westbrook can do the same thing as Golden Tate. I would agree with that. D.D. Westbrook, especially with Jacksonville, I mean, DJ Chark is their best wide receiver. But DJ Chark is not a wide receiver who you're like, he's – you're immediately, any team he goes to, he's a number one. He's a guy that if there was somebody of equal talent or a little bit more talent, he could easily be a number two wide receiver. And when D.D. Westbrook got drafted out of Oklahoma, he was believed to be that guy who could really push the narrative and push to be one of those top guys, but it never really happened. With Golden Tate, I mean, you know what you're getting out of him at this point. I think if you put him with a solid quarterback, I think that he could put up a really good season for you. So I would go with Golden Tate as well. All right, let's go offensive linemen, specifically right tackle. Morgan Moses or Dennis Kelly? Um, I'm going to make this opinion. I'm not going to lie. I'm partially biased because one of these gentlemen is a former type, but I got to go with Dennis Kelly. I think that he, he, in my opinion, he's a great piece. Like He can be inserted into the starting lineup, and he can be – he can be solid, but I also think that his greatest value came from being a guy that wouldn't necessarily be a starter. You could bring him in for five minutes on um, when your lineman gets tired or in a situation where your starter gets hurt, and he can create bring great value in that way. I've seen him do it for the Titans, and I think that that's a good road he can fit into. Yeah, I mean, this question really comes down to how much money do you have to give. If you want a cheaper but reliable option, Dennis Kelly, if you're looking for a bit higher price tag, but you could arguably say a bit better player, you go Morgan Moses. Um, So in terms of picking between the two, I think I'd probably go Morgan Moses just because he's really come on over the last couple of years. So I would say Morgan Moses, but I mean, Dennis Kelly is – this was a tough one. They're both really, really good players at their position. All right, next up, defensive tackle. Would you rather sign Geno Atkins or Kawan Short? Ooh, this tough. Uh, 
I know Geno Atkins. He has the he has the bigger name of the two. He has a bigger resume. But Kawan Short, he's the type of guy that you can plug into your team system, and he can get the job done. He won't probably have as big as a price tag as maybe with Geno Atkins. But between the two, I probably might go Geno. But yeah, this one is tough too for me, just because Geno is older. But I mean, and he has, but he does have the bigger name. He does overall career-wise, he's accomplished more than Kawan Short. But Kawan Short is a very consistent defensive tackle. Injuries have kind of hurt him over the last couple of years. So, real honestly, they're pretty much on the same playing field. But I think I would probably go Geno too, just because I feel like he's a player that offensive lines would take more, put more attention on, which would create more opportunities for other players as opposed to Kawhi Short. All right, defensive end, Justin Houston or Everson Griffin? Um, let me see, Justin Houston. I gotta go with Everson Griffin because he's shown that he can still be a productive player. I know Justin Houston, he's shown flashes, but I don't think that he can put up the type of production that um, Everson Griffin can. Yeah, I'm also going to go Justin Houston, as, if not for anything, but the NFL's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Um, this past year, Everson Griffin had, I want to say, what, three-and-a-half sacks between his time with the Lions and the uh, Cowboys, whereas with Justin Houston, I want to say he had eight sacks with the Colts. So, I mean, in terms of recency bias, I would go Justin Houston, but it's – if you would have asked me a couple years ago, this still would have been a very tough question. All right, last one. Cornerback, Richard Sherman or Steven Nelson? Oh, uh, I probably would go Richard Sherman, but I wouldn't have him playing cornerback. I would sign him with the intent on moving him to safety simply because I don't, he's never been a fast corner. He's never had the push speed to keep up with wide receivers. He's just always had a great position and a great knowledge of how to attack past the um, past offenses. And I think he can do the same thing as they say. He's a bigger guy. He's a guy that you can potentially put up against a couple tight ends simply because of his size and his length. I think I would go Steven Nelson just because it's such a hard time finding cornerbacks in this league. And Steven Nelson this past year, of course, a lot of the attention will go to a Minka Fitzpatrick or TJ Water or Cam Hayward. But he performed really well in that Steelers defense over the last couple of years. He just didn't get the attention for it. And I think that whatever team gets him, they will get a steal at corner. Whereas, like you said, I mean, Richard Sherman can easily make the transition to safety. But, I mean, it's a much a bigger need to have a great corner or at least a really good corner over a solid safety. So I would go with uh, Mr. Nelson. All right, let's talk NBA. Starting with Ethan, your top three takeaways of this past week of action. Oh, top three takeaways are, honestly, I don't want to speak too soon, but is this the last we've seen on the front, James? I know there's been some rumor circles around it. This might, that might have been his last game for Lakers. I highly doubt it. But if it were to happen and he were to retire, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, number two, literally the Dallas Mavericks and the Clippers series comes down to Kawhi Leonard and Luka Doncic. Whoever has the better game in this game seven, they're going to win their series. And number one, um, is it finally time for the Portland Trailblazers to do what people have been um, saying they should do for a while, which is blow their team up and make some major changes? We saw that they mutually parted ways with Terry Stotts, but what is that going to say about the roster in the upcoming offseason? Yeah, it will be an interesting offseason for them for sure. We'll definitely get to that in a bit. All right, let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week. Um, out of the Eastern Conference, this may be a bit of a shock just because I know I have not mentioned him all year. But I'm going to say out of the East, I'm going to go Tobias Harris. He had looked like a real Mamba, especially in a closeout game against the Wizards where he dropped 28 points, the best of the playoffs. A big reason why I'm so impressed with what Tobias Harris was able really to do this week was he was able to step up. When you lose your best player and MVP candidate in uh 
Joel and B, somebody has to step up. Somebody has to be that offensive presence. Let's be honest. Ben Simmons is not that cat, whereas Tobias Harris did it, especially after a year that some could consider down. Throughout the playoffs, I mean, thus far, he's his numbers, his scoring numbers, rebounding numbers, and assist numbers all have improved, and I think that that really shows the mark of a Mamba. So Tobias Harris is my Easter Mamba of the week. For me, I'm going to have to go with one Kevin Durant, simply because – He's come back from this injury and the injury that he sustained from the regular season. He's come back and he's leading the NBA in playoff scoring. And he's doing it at an unreal efficiency level. Like he's shooting, if I'm not mistaken, 50, like 55% from the field, 40% from three, and like 90% from the free throw line. And this is a guy that people came and said when he came back, he won't be the same player that he was in the past. But he's shown that he's a better player than he was since before he got injured. That's a good one. All right, so let's go ahead, move on to the Western Conference. Now, I almost went Devin Booker. I was real close to doing it. I mean, he had a real Mamba-like game at Staples. I really almost did it. But to sit here and disrespect Damian Lillard just wouldn't sit right with my spirit. I mean, his performance this playoff series, and I know that they lost, but he gave it his all. I mean, his 55-point game on the first, the double overtime game that he forced both of them is just a testament to everything he gives to his team, to Portland, to everything. So while Devin Booker balled out that 47-point game was amazing, I gotta go, Dirty Dame. Uh, I have to go with Kawhi Leonard, and the reason I'm going this way is because in an elimination game, a game with his season on the line, a game with all the marbles on the line, he put up 45 points, and he also held Luka Doncic to probably his lowest scoring total of the whole series. And we know that when Kobe was alive and kicking and being the greatest player one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA. He showed up big in big moments. And what other, what's another big moment besides game six with this season on the line and you putting up one of the best performances you have in your career in the playoffs? So I got to go with Kawhi. You make a very, very good point. All right, so let's talk league news. With the Celtics, who did lose in five games against the Nets, Things are getting interesting up in Boston. Reason being, Danny Ang retired, which in I'm sorry, which inserted head coach Brad Stevens to the role of president of basketball operations, meaning he's not the head coach of the Celtics anymore, which creates a new opportunity for a head coach. So first off, what are your thoughts on the Danny Ang to Brad Stevens transition? And then secondly, who do you think will be a nice replacement for Stevens in Boston? I think that the Danny, the Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge transition, I think it's going to be a weird one because we don't know what Brad Stevens is going to bring to a front office role. We knew, we know that he's an amazing coach. He's one of the better young coaches in the history of this game, currently. But what is he going to do being put in a position to make, um, to make a front office, a front office and negative decisions? Like, we know that he had some some type of role in doing it when he played, when he was a coach at Butler, because typically the coaches are the guys that make um, the decisions on who they want at the rosters. But this in college. This is the NBA. This is a different, this is a different monster. This is a whole new game. But I also would say, as far as who they should get to replace him, maybe go after a guy in the name of Mark Jackson. You have a you have a younger roster. You have two you have two stars. Why not go to a guy that had experience with a younger roster at one point and go to stay with two young up and coming guards in Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? So that's who I would throw out there. I highly doubt it's going to happen, but uh, that's what I think about it. Yeah, I think it's weird, too, because you mentioned, you know, the difference of being like a recruiter at a college as opposed to being in the NBA. One, 
let's be honest, college players get paid too, but you're dealing with contract negotiations. You're trying to think long-term, not just past one or two years that a college player is expected to be there, but decades in advance. And I think that it's a whole lot more pressure because your job can be gone like that. If a team is not producing the top two play, I mean, top two people whose jobs are typically on the line is the coach and the GM, which is essentially the role that Brad Stevens is going to play. So I'm interested to see how it all shakes out in terms of who could replace him. I mean, there's just so many names to be out there. I think Mark Jackson would be a good one. But, I mean, every coach in vacancy, you and I always bring up Mark Jackson just because it's a, it's crazy that he hasn't gotten a job yet. Um, but I do think that with regards to the Celtics, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Portland's situation as well. But it's just like it's hard to really determine what kind of coach they need. Whether if you could think of, not of course not Tom Thibodeau, but somebody like in his likeness, an older coach, a more defensive-minded coach who really wants to make that the emphasis of the game and then expand it from there. Or if you think of a guy like Mark Jackson who is more offensive-minded and creates opportunities for our offense. Like the Celtics are in a team that's in such flux, it's really hard to think of where to go. But I think that somebody worth mentioning could be a Jason Kidd. I think Jason Kidd could be a nice marriage of the two. Um, but who's to say he's really way to take on a head coaching role, which we'll get to in a minute. But I think that he could be somebody to uh, handle that. But speaking of head coaches, we talk, you talked about it earlier with the Trailblazers, with Terry Stotts and the Trailblazers mutually parting ways after nine seasons. Now, Damian Lillard said publicly, Jason Kidd is the guy that he wants to be the head coach. But in response, Jason Kidd pretty much said, thank you, but no thank you, and respectfully declined the opportunity to get that head coaching job. So where do the Trailblazers go from here? And also, what about Terry Stotts? Reportedly, the Magic are looking to get him, potentially after firing um, Steve Clifford, as well as potentially the Indiana Pacers if they move on from their head coach. So where do the Trailblazers go from here? I think the Trailblazers are going to have an off-season of um, re-innovating their team. I think they're going to make some roster changes. I don't. This I know a lot of people are thinking about like is this Dame wise watch Dame get traded? And we know over the past X amount of years that it's always been rumors of you know them trading CJ McCollum and rumors about them potentially looking to trade might trade Dame. I think this is going to be the actual season where that actually happens, and I don't think Dan's going to be traded, but I do think that CJ is going to be traded, and me being me, I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't mind seeing him being traded to Memphis, because we have, you know, we have a young upcoming team, we have pieces that we can trade with inspiring contracts, one of them being Kyle Anderson, you know, we have a lot of pieces, and we also have draft pieces you can use in trades so but I think as far as Terry Stites I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to one of these teams with a younger roster like IE in Orlando or like you said the um the Pacers because he's the type of he's a players coach I've numerously I've um numerously listened to CJ McCollum's podcast and he talks about Terry Stites as being a players coach and in today's NBA Typically, the best coaches are coaches that are kind of like players' coaches, the, play, the coaches that empower these players to be themselves and put them in the best position to win games. If you're in the, the 90s and the early 2000s where coaches were like these tyrants, it's, it's, your, it's my way or the highway type of situation. Like, you have to build specific relationships with these young guys for them to thrive. So, I can see, you know, I think... I think their Pacers job would be a good job because they already have a lot of good pieces in place. You know, they have Malcolm Brogdon, they have Karis LeVert, they have Sabonis, they have Miles Turner. So you already have a pretty established team. They just need the right leader, and I think that Terry Stotts could be a leader for them. Yeah, I think that that would be a good move for Terry, especially because, let's be honest, with we talked about it kind of last week with the Timberwolves about not having a direction, but the Orlando Magic have – even less of a direction. The t Magic are pretty much just floating around aimlessly, and especially after trading their few players of repute, such as Nikola Vucic, um, Aaron Don, I mean, not Aaron Don, I'm sorry, Aaron Gordon, like they moved their biggest players 
And with so much turnover on their roster right now, they have young pieces of Cole, Anthony, or Wendell Carter, but it's like, what are you going to do with them? And I think that it would kind of take a bit of a miracle to really shape this into a winning team or a team that people are intimidated by. So it's no telling what's going on with there. So I think that in terms of Terry Stotts, I think that Indiana will be the best move. Um, With regards to that, um, I would say that with the Trailblazers, I mean, I think moves have to be made. I think that this is a team that, I mean, Dame pretty much said it perfectly. He said, we came up short against the team without their starting point guard and shooting guard. Obviously, where we are isn't good enough to win a championship. And when you're a team that knows that you're not there yet, and what makes it makes no sense to just sit on your thumbs and just expect things to change. I mean, that's the, the textbook definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I think that after all this time, the result, it's clear no results are going to change with the way that they're doing things, so it's time to change things up. But all right, let's play Believable or Buffoonery. NBA edition, starting off with the Washington Wizards, who didn't get swept by the 76ers, but they did lose in five. So, believable or buffoonery, both Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal will be on the Washington Wizards next season. Now, both of them have one year guaranteed on their contract and then a player option. While Bradley Beal was not necessarily committal to long-term plans following the Game 5 loss against the 76ers, uh, Russell Westbrook spoke highly of the team and said, the city, the team, the coaches, everybody has kind of welcomed me and my family with open arms. That's all you can ask for. So believable for buffoonery. Both of them will be a Washington Wizard next year. I think they will be. I think that they're going to play out the remaining year um, of their contract. And especially Bradley B. I think it's going to be, they play out. They might make the playoffs again, but they're ultimately going to decline their player option. Yeah, I agree. I think that they, I think that they come back, especially if the front office makes moves to make them better. And I think that because of that, with regards to getting players like a lot of players have been talked about, like potentially a Demar Derozan is a name that possibly got brought up. Like other cats like that who potentially join the team. I think that if the front office makes a concerted effort to make this team better, to bring in better people into the fold, I think that that's the best move. And if they do that, I could see them being on the team, not just this upcoming season and beyond, but for right now, I do see them on the team for the 2021-2022 season. All right, let's go ahead move on to the Los Angeles Lakers, who, as everybody knows, um, will will uh, lost to the Suns in game six. The question now is, the Lakers will not win another championship with LeBron and AD in the fold. Believable or buffoonery? Uh, I think if they play, I think if they're both healthy, they'd have a shot at winning one more title. It just depends on if they're healthy. Because the thing is, is LeBron has been showing signs of age where he's been far more prone to injury. And we both have talked about it historically that Anthony Davis is a guy that he's prone to injury quite often. So I think it just depends on if they're healthy. Honestly, I think that – I'm not going to say the window is closed, but I just don't – I don't see it happening because this year really showed that when AD and LeBron are not right, the Lakers aren't going anywhere. anywhere. And hell, even if one of them is right, the Lakers are going to struggle. And you could talk about Dennis Schroeder, who, who Magic Johnson gave the business about him not being a Laker, doesn't think he has the winning mentality and the attitude. You can make the argument. Kyle Kuzma, another guy who's supposed to step up. Alex Caruso, uh, Montrez Harrell. Pretty much everybody who was brought in who people thought would be able to step up in the case of an absence did not do that. And so because of that, unless they make big roster moves, unless they are able to, case in point, get a guy like Chris Paul, which I don't think happens, but if unless they're able to bring in another veteran, a trustworthy veteran or guys who they can trust who can perform without just resting on the laurels of LeBron or AD, 
I don't think it happens. I think that the days of LeBron being able to carry a bad team, I think those days are over. I mean, this man is what? He's going to be, what, 37, 38 this year? Like, it, yeah, and the thing, LeBron is a tremendous basketball player, but no matter how much you take care of your body, Tom knows no man. Tom is not going to stop for you because of your job. And I think that that those effects are going to come in. So as of right now, I don't think it happens unless they do a bit of a roster rehaul. All right, let's talk about Julius Randle, one most improved player. I mean, set career highs in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, and three-point percentages really excelled. However, the playoffs came and all of his big numbers took a dip. So believable or buffoonery, the Knicks will thrive with Julius Randle as their best player. Um, it depends on your definition of thrive. I think if you're talking about making it to the playoffs, then maybe making it to the second round, then yes. But if you're talking about like potential championship aspirations, no, I don't think that. I'm a fan of Julius Randle. I was a fan of him when he played in Kentucky. Um, but I don't think that he's the type of player that he can be the best player on a championship winning team. I think that he could be he's a great second option, but I think that in order for the Knicks to really quote unquote thrive, they would have to bring in another player. I know that it's been it's been some talks about them potentially looking to see if they can get Dane from Portland. If they were to do something like that, we're bringing in Dame and have Julius Randle, I could see that being a deadly combination simply because I think what happened with Julius Randle this past season in the playoffs is that he took a lot of tough shots throughout the regular season, and he made a lot of tough shots. And we both know that Tom Thibodeau is a coach that tends to run his players down to the ground. And Julius Randle played a lot of a lot of minutes in the regular season, and I think those minutes that he played caught up to him. And if you're able to have two star two players that are capable of carrying a load, then you won't they won't get worn down as easy. Because just like you know, Dane, if they were to potentially get Dane, let's say like if Dane wants to take it off, take a couple possessions off as far as scoring wise. Because honestly, when you have the ball in your hand, most of the time, that's when you drain the most energy. You can just dump it to Julius and let Julius work and vice versa, and they can also play off each other. So I think as far as them thriving with Julius being their best player, I don't think that's a possibility. I don't think so either. And I think that because the Knicks haven't made the playoffs since 2013, just making the playoffs is an accomplishment. However, you're in New York. You're in one of the biggest entertainment capitals of the country, not just the country, but the world, the fans have high expectations for this team. So now you made the playoffs, you got bounced in the first round, okay, but now the expectation is, well, we're going to make the playoffs again and we're going to go further. With the roster right now and with Julius Randle as their best player, I don't see them really taking that next step. I think it could kind of be a case similar to the Trailblazers where they make the playoffs Maybe one year make it pretty far, but then everything else is just like either first or second round exits in the case of Julius Randle. So I'm in agreement with you. Getting a player like Dame, I think that that would be an amazing move. But I don't feel like the Knicks are really going to become a threat without, I mean, with Julius Randle as their best option. But speaking of an option that did step up in the playoffs, Derrick Rose, who is a free agent after this present season, said, I would love to come back. Who wouldn't want to play for the Knicks or be in New York? Believable buffoonery, he comes back to the Big Apple. I think it's believable. I don't see why they let him go. Yeah, this is believable. He he proved himself in the playoffs and towards the end of the season. He also has a very great relationship with Tom Tuberstow. Tom Thibodeau, we've seen that Derrick Rose has played for other coaches and he hasn't really worked out, but he, every time he gets up with Tears one days, when he went back to Minnesota, he always plays great for Tears, so I think he's definitely going to be back in New York. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he played well. I mean, you can make an argument he was the best Nick in the playoffs this past year, so why would you just get rid of that? Especially because point guard is such a hot commodity. And he's already voiced that he wants to come back. So I just say it's easy. Make it happen. All right, let's talk about the Trailblazers. Believable or buffoonery? 
Damian Lillard is out of there. After the series ended, he he made a post on Instagram quoting Nipsey Hussle said, "How long should I stay dedicated? How long to the opportunity meet preparation? Is believable or buffoonery? Damian Lillard will not be a Portland Trailblazer next year." Um, honestly, I think it's buffoonery. I think that the Trailblazers are so saying his value to the um, team throughout the course of these past couple years in the playoffs. So I think what they would do is instead of trading him, they would trade the pieces around him and try to better build build a team around him than get rid of him. Yeah, I agree. Um, If not for any reason, but he's not the problem. It'd be one thing if it's your star player, but he's inconsistent. You don't really know when he's going to show up. But he shows up and shows out in every turn he gives 150 percent while it seems like even if everybody else on the team may be given 100 compared to him it looks like they're only giving 50 and so because of that if i'm the trailblazers i want to do everything i can to make him happy i want him to stay in the fold i want to make sure that we're successful and to be successful it seems that dame should stay and other cats should go whether it be trading to cj mccullum or a Yusuf Nurkic, just making moves to make this team into a contender because as of right now, they're not a contender. They may be flashy, they may be fun to watch, but realistically, the Trailblazers are not a team that you're worried about. They may put up a lot of points, but they're not going to stop you from scoring. And I think that the important thing would be trying to bring in cats and bring in players to help make this team better, help make this team more dynamic. So like I said, um, if that means trading C.J. McCollum, uh, you mentioned a team like the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies could use them. I don't think that in terms of what the Trailblazers would get in return, I think that they would probably look in the direction of another team, potentially the Knicks or someone who they feel like they could get a higher return from. But I could see CJ being gone, Yusuf Nurkic as well, Zach Collins. I could see a lot of things changing to try to make this into a competitor. But let's talk about trading another point guard, this time for Boston, Kimball Walker, who last year in his first year with the Celtics seemed to be doing the right things. This year, not so much. Injuries kind of took a step back in the playoffs. Believable or buffoonery, the Celtics will trade Kimball Walker. I think it's a buffoonery because I don't think anybody's going to take Kimba's contract. Kimba has one of the higher, a lot of people don't know it, but Kimba has a high contract as far as a price tag attached to it. And given the fact that he didn't perform well in the playoffs, it's going to make teams not want to take the chance of trying to get him. So I think it's buffoonery. Uh, I think it's, the price tag is a hard thing to look at, but I think that, I think with the NBA, it's it's kind of different as far as a player's price tag or how much their contract is as opposed to, like, the NFL. Because it seems like every year players who hardly see playing time are getting 20, 25 mil a year. And so even though Kimba has a huge contract, I think a team needy for a point guard would go ahead and try to make that move, especially because when healthy, Kimball Walker is a good player. Kimball Walker does read the court well, and he it can produce. It's just last few games he really has not been able to do that. And so with that being said, I could see – I think it is believable that Kimba gets traded, especially if the Celtics feel like they're in a position to where they could get a Damian Lillard. I could see that being a trade that would take place. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our predictions for the second round of the NBA playoffs. Game one between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers is already taking place. Atlanta's up 102-85. How do you see this series going? I got Sixers in six. Joel Embiid is able to remain healthy because he's playing today. I have Sixers in six or seven. All right, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Nets took game one, but it was not without a big loss. Uh, James Harden is out for the foreseeable future with the right hamstring injury. In fact, it's the same injury that kept him out most of the regular season. Does that change your thoughts on the Nets potentially winning this series, or do you think that they still have a shot? I think they're still going to win the series, but I think it's going to be way – I thought it was going to be a tough – a difficult series to begin with, and I just think it's going to be way more difficult now that James Harden's out. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I got Nets in seven. Um, I think that KD, we talked, you talked about earlier about just how much of a machine he's been in the playoffs to where it's hard to really count him out. And Kyrie Irving, I mean, he quietly had arguably the best year of his career. So I think that with those two things in mind, I mean, Giannis is a great player, but I mean, it's still going to be a battle for the rest of his teammates to step up. So I got next in seven. All right, let's talk the Phoenix Suns taking on the Denver Nuggets. Who you got? I have the Suns in six. I got Suns in seven. I think that while DeAndre Aiden had a great uh, series this past one against the Lakers, I think that Nikola Jokic is another beast. And while I think that because the Nuggets overall won't be able to keep up with the scoring of a CP3 or Devin Booker, I still think that Nikola Jokic is a bit of a force. But I do got Nets in seven. I think that they're able to pull it out. All right. Now, before we talk Jazz and their competitor, it comes down to tonight, Game 7. Who you got, Mavs or Clippers? I got Clippers. Yeah, I got Clippers. I think that Kawhi Leonard is going to have another great performance. I alluded to him showing coming up big when their mom is the brightest, and I think he's going to do the same thing. I think they're going to get the win in Game 7. All right, so let's so with that win, they go on to face the Utah Jazz. Who you got? I got Clippers in six. Yeah, they face the Clippers. I have the Clippers. Yeah. All right, so then begs the question: If they do beat the Clippers, I mean, if they do meet the Jazz, do you think this is the time Paul Pierce? I mean, not Paul Pierce. Paul George really is able to step up and be that compliment to Kawhi Leonard, who seems to really be going on a tear. Or do you think that Donovan Mitchell outshines him? Because if I have to twist between the two, I think the Donovan Mitchell is gonna have a better series. Uh, I think Donovan Mitchell will, but I also wanted to say that a lot of people fail to realize that Paul George actually hasn't been playing bad this series. Like he has had some moments, but overall he's had a pretty decent series. So, but I still, with between the two, I would definitely say that Paul George is going to have a better. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is going to have a better overall series than um than Paul George. All right, and that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theXReport.net. I repeat, theXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy? I mean, yeah, naturally. Um, Let's see, my Lakers are out the playoffs. NXT, yes, wrestling-related things. NXT TakeOver in your house is next week. So be on the lookout for NXT TakeOver predictions. I'm excited because NXT TakeOvers are just, they're just they're just the bee's knees. They're just amazing. So be on the lookout for that. I know our wrestling content has been like so-so over the last few, uh, last couple of months. But when it comes to prediction time, we always got time for wrestling. But thank you guys so much for listening, uh, and we'll see you all next time. Thank <laughs> you.